0: Breaking down Wisconsin basketball. This is The Swing with Zach Heilprin and Jesse Temple on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Yes, welcome into The Swing here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. I'm Zach Heilprin. He is Jesse Temple. Well, it was kind of a good and bad week for Wisconsin. They come home and spank Indiana, handing them their first uh, loss of the season. And then they go on the road and, I guess you would say, lay another egg to fall to 0-5 on the year away from the Cole Center. They lose to Rutgers 72-65. This is, Jesse, The going back to 1994-95 season, first time they have not won a road game or even a neutral site game in their first 10 games of a season since then. They're 5-5 five five overall. All five lo- wins coming at home. All five losses away.
1: It is remarkable. And the thing about this game that differentiates itself from the others is that Before, we've been talking about how they just couldn't make shots. If only they can get open and knock down some shots, then they'll have an opportunity to win against a team like Rutgers. That was not the problem in this game. They didn't shoot particularly well. However, they still had a one-point lead at halftime on Trevor Anderson's buzzer beater, but they didn't put forth the effort and the energy necessary, and that's something we rarely see at Wisconsin, and that's the most head-scratching aspect of this loss.
0: When you say energy and effort, are we talking about the second chance points? Are we talking about the inability to rebound? Are we talking about turnovers? Is is that all encompassed in that? I guess those words, that phrase, those phrases.
1: I think it is. Rutgers had 14 offensive rebounds, and maybe that makes a difference. When when Michael Potter comes back, we'll we'll see. We've been talking about him all season, and we'll finally get a chance to see him soon enough. But. You can't give up that many offensive rebounds. You can't turn the ball over that many times. They had 12 turnovers in the first half, and I understand that Rutgers put forward some full-court pressure and Wisconsin struggled with that. But this is a team, as we've said before, that prides itself on taking care of the ball that is a low-possession team, and you turn the ball over 12 times, you're not really giving yourself an opportunity to win. They gave up 18 points off turnovers in the first half alone, which almost makes it more remarkable that Wisconsin even had a lead.
0: Yeah. Well, they—I mean, Rutgers obviously did not shoot the ball well in the first half whatsoever, right? They—I think they shot it. I think it was 38 percent. Um, they hit just three of eleven from the outside. It kept Wisconsin in it because they're shooting Wisconsin's. That is, twelve of twenty-two, and they were five of eleven from beyond the arc. And so that those are numbers you can win with, right? Shooting wise, obviously, those are those are the type of numbers you can live with. They they outplayed Rutgers in that respect. But yes, the offensive rebounding. And the turnovers, the turnovers has been a year-long thing now. I mean, they only had they had a season-low four, I think, against Indiana. Uh, but they turned the ball over way too much against NC State. It was a problem in Brooklyn. It was a problem last night. Now, they come back in the second half, and there's only two turnovers. But the offensive rebounding then picks up even more. Uh, they got out-rebounded 40-26, to 14-3 on the offensive glass. It led to 22 points off of turnovers. And 23 second chance points. So 45 of the 72 points that Rutgers had came because of gifts from Wisconsin. I think what's in most. Part, in part from gifts from Wisconsin.
1: I think what's most maddening about a loss like this is if we just said this is who Wisconsin is, they're just not a very good team we're going to have to deal with this all year. That would be one thing, but we saw what they did against Marquette and we saw what they just did against Indiana. I understand those games were at home and Indiana had maybe a bit inflated because it was eight. 0 and hadn't really played anyone still. That was a beatdown. That was a really important statement win. I felt like for Wisconsin to start big 10 play, but then they go on the road and they, they lose the way they did against Rutgers. And I thought it was interesting that Steven Bardo, who is the, the color commentator during the game on the big 10 network, um, made some valid points, in particular about Dimitri Trice and Nate Reavers, and he said that Trice, during the game, looked like a deer in headlights, and that's one of the leaders of your team, someone who has started for multiple seasons, and and he described Nate Reavers as struggling with effort and energy all night, and I don't disagree with either of those statements. Those Those are the two guys coming into the season, two of the handful of guys you would have said need to bring it and be consistent every night, especially when you don't have any front court help without Micah Potter, and especially when you've got a veteran point guard. You don't get the production from them. One game after Reavers had 20 points against Indiana. It just it doesn't make sense.
0: And Greg Gard did something about it. I mean, Demetrius Trice played 22 minutes yesterday. Brevin Pritzel and Trevor Anderson both had more, played more minutes than he did. And I think, I don't know if they're going to make a change in the starting lineup. Maybe you give uh, Demetric something off the bench, maybe he gives you something off the bench instead. One of these guys at some point is going to the bench with with Mike when Micah Potter gets fully back in. We'll, we'll talk about whether we think he's going to be in the starting lineup right away against you to Milwaukee or whether it's um, something that takes a little bit. We'll, we'll get into that in a, in a second. But is it? Do you need to make a change there? I don't know. Like Trevor has his limitations, though. You know, he still does because of the injury. Um, he was never the most athletic guy to begin with, and he still. Not uh, I don't. He's not all the way back, but you know he turned the ball over three times, just like Demetric did. Like it's not just a Demetric Trice problem, but at least Trevor put some shots up. He had some confidence to put some shots up. I mean, Demetric took two shots the entire night. Trevor Anderson took five, including um, obviously that three at the buzzer and the, at the end of the first half. But he wants the ball in his hands. Trevor does. It, it was, and that to me was never more obvious when. Uh, Aleem Ford, he got caught down low late in the shot clock. He had like three guys on him. There's three guys standing at the top of the key, including Trevor Anderson, and uh, they get he gets called for travel. And Trevor Anderson throws his arms up and he's like, "Give me the ball!" Like they, that's the and you can look at that two ways, right? You look at it as like why that's not the greatest you know outward emotion in that moment, uh, or you can see at least at least Wisconsin has one guy that wants the ball in their hands and wants wants to shoot right now.
1: Yeah, and I don't, I'm don't. i not ready to overreact to the point of saying that Trice needs to be benched, even though he hasn't been particularly good for stretches. He came into this game, I believe, second in the Big Ten in assist-to-turnover ratio, which is a big part of his job. Now he hasn't shot the ball very well. He's only shooting like 34.6% from two and 27.7% from three, which is incredible because he was twice as more than twice as good at this stage last year as when he was 60%. And so that's an issue, but I don't know... I don't know that you would say Trevor is the answer unless you're just trying to light a fire under Dimitriq's butt. I don't know if that would be the long-term solution necessarily because of the reasons you laid out.
0: And I mean, I don't think you want to have Brad dribbling around as much, uh, but Brevin, there were two guys plus minus yesterday that were in the positive Brevin and and Trevor Anderson. They were plus seven with Brevin Pritzel on the floor. Could he be your two and you would move, uh, Brad to the one, it's possible. If, if, what I'm saying is, if you're, if you would, I don't think anybody's sitting here and overreacting as you, as you called it, and saying that that's needs what ha, needs to happen. But he just he hasn't been himself, I guess. And if he's deer in headlights as a junior, there's something wrong there, and that that needs to be addressed. You can't just keep on throwing him out there.
1: And I don't know if you made a change, if it would be, like I said before, a permanent change or just send a message. I still think Dimitrik in a point guard role is the guy that you would want there because of his ability to break defenders down. And we have seen his ability to make shots off the dribble. It just hasn't been consistent this year. So I can see that. We understand that they've got position flexibility and that's why they've got so many guys in the backcourt. That's what would allow you to have Brad potentially play the one or Trevor in there more or Brevin in there more. It's just, it's not something I thought we would be discussing at this stage. Um, and even though... You mentioned the guys who had positives in the plus-minus. We're this deep into the show and we haven't mentioned Kobe King because he has become a breakout star.
0: He has. He yeah. No, he was fantastic last night. Had 18 points. They're also minus 14 with him on the floor. Not that that has anything to do with it because he's the only guy that was uh, consistently getting to the to the basket and consistently putting up shots that that went in. Um, yeah, it was seven of 12. It was it was a good day for him. And he had 24
1: against Indiana, which was a career high. So Right, it so really he, started seems to put,
0: like... he started to put stuff back-to-back to back, uh, and together now, and I believe um, it, it leaves him now uh, as the um, second-leading scorer on the team. He's at 12.8 per game. It feels like just a matter of time before he passes Nate, Nate who's at 14.5 a, uh, a game. I'd like to go back to Stephen Bardo's comments about Nate, though. Do you see that same thing? Do you see the, um, what did he say, lack of effort? He, he said Reavers had struggles, struggled with effort and energy all night do you think that's would you agree with that first and second do you think it's been something that has shown up at other times this year so I know it's kind of of
1: hard to get into the mindset of a player and say like he's not putting forth the effort but from an outside view standpoint maybe it's easier to say energy level because you can't let some of those bigger bodied guys take advantage of you in the way that it seems like he's been taken advantage of you can't allow yourself to be taken out of the game if you're not effective offensively. And I think we've seen that at times. And he also had four fouls. So, you know, foul trouble has been an issue too. And he doesn't have a lot of help because they don't have Michael Potter right now. But it it, it has been, in my mind, something that has been ongoing this season. I'm not going to say it's a lack of effort, but there's there's something there where you know what he's capable of. I think that that's what it comes back to is you see what some of these guys ceilings could be. And when you don't see it consistently and regularly enough, it just makes you wonder why.
0: Do you think sometimes guys get into him body wise and it kind of drains the, I don't know, it drains the energy from you a little bit, knowing that it's going to be one of those nights where he's going to, they're going to bang on you and there's nobody coming in for you to take any of that away.
1: I think it's possible. Yeah, absolutely. It's not, I, I don't think this is the first time that we've seen that either.
0: No, it's not. I I said I I couldn't come up with the word when we talked last week about just how he looked against NC State. Lethargic? I think I said lackadaisical, which isn't fair. Lethargic probably would have been fine. But yeah, I think Steve Bardo probably hit on it. It just feels like sometimes it's not he's not always there completely. You know, but then you go back to the Indiana game, he had 20 points and and 4 rebounds and shot the ball well and you're like, okay, but okay. if you
1: are the leading scorer on the team, you know he had three points and then he banks in a three that probably had no business going in, but it did, and he winds up with six points. And that, I'm sorry, but that's just not good enough out of the guy that you felt like before the season needed to take, if not, maybe the biggest step on the team, certainly among the biggest steps on the team, given that you lost uh, Ethan Happ and figured he'd be more free to to do some work. And you got to get more than six points and you know one assist, three turnovers out of him, and five rebounds. You just have to.
0: So I asked this question, you know, when we were when I was asking for Twitter questions, I think people kind of took it as me asking about last night specifically, but I was asking about we're going to try and figure out the we'll try and figure out the issues that are facing Wisconsin on the road. They fixed the they fixed the shooting problem at least for last night, and then these other things pop up. They feel like th- those are fixable issues like they don't have to be this team. Like they can be they don't have to be the team they are at home either, but they can be better than they have been on the road just by playing within themselves and playing Wisconsin basketball, which is not turning the ball over, as you said earlier, and not giving teams a second chance. And just that uh, that hammers home. But I, I feel like you you can't, the, the uh, saying, and I got all the responses from it saying, you want the issue? They're not any good. That's not a good answer. Like, that's not the answer to this, considering we've seen what they did against Indiana and Marquette. Like, it's not just simply they're bad, a bad team. Bad teams don't blow out teams like that, okay? And I know Indiana may be overrated. Sure, Wisconsin still blew them out. Marquette is a good team. They blew them out. Like, bad teams don't do that. So figuring out what the issue is on the road is going to be the difference between whether they can turn this thing around and get to the tournament or not.
1: And you hear the most cliche line ever in every sport that you control the controllables. You can't necessarily control if you don't make shots, but you absolutely can control your level of focus, your effort, your energy. And I think this is the first, I feel like this was the first time all season where those things showed up. Um they've turned the ball over. I mean that that's been an issue, but where you just said man like this is not what Wisconsin should be doing even if they're not making shots and they went they wound up going 8 for 23 from 3 which isn't great but it's respectable enough relative to everywhere for sure. everything else they've done this season. I just felt like they cost themselves an opportunity by continually shooting themselves in a foot in the foot in ways that we just don't think of for this program.
0: I'll say this about Rutgers, though. Much, 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 much better Wisconsin teams have gone into there and lost.
1: Yeah, the best team ever went in there and lost.
0: <laughs> now it came without Frank Kaminsky, but yes. And they but they blew and they blew a huge lead in that game. But, you know, I, I don't think Rutgers is very good. Like I don't think they're gonna be I don't think they're gonna be a top of the top of the table Big Ten team. But Geo Baker's tough to deal with and he put up a bunch of points and you know it is what it is.
1: But that's exactly what I was gonna say is to me if I look at the difference in the game. Rutgers had a that guy, and Wisconsin did not have a that guy. Now, Kobe is, I think, on the cusp, maybe on the precipice of getting to that level, but like, you need a bucket, give it to Geo Baker, and he'll hit a step back three, he'll get in the lane, he'll get to the line, he'll get you exactly what you need. And that has been one of the, when we're talking about what's been the issue, I don't think it's a single issue with Wisconsin, but that is, in my mind, a large issue, and we've talked about this before, that you don't have that guy that you said go get us a bucket right now go break someone down get into the lane get a step back and you know it's going to go in kobe to me is the closest to that
0: it's great to be balanced right until you actually and we we've talked about this on the on the earlier shows here i think one of the sold or not sold questions early in the year was sold or not sold not having the guy is going to come back to hunt wisconsin at some point and i think we both said sold on that because you're, you're going to need a guy at some point to step up and make a shot as you said and They just didn't have that against uh, Rutgers. But again, making shots necessarily wasn't the issue. It was giving up opportunities to make shots by not rebounding and not holding out of the ball. All right, time to get into uh, a little sold or not sold. So I mentioned in the first segment, it had been since 94-95 season that they had not won a road game in their first 10 games of the season. That year, they would only win two road games. Sold or not sold, Wisconsin will win two or more games on the road this season.
1: I'm sold. I don't think it'll happen. I don't think they'll win any before the new year because
0: they've got one more and it's at Tennessee. And for 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 the record, ninety four, ninety five, they won their the eleventh game of the year was on the road and they and they beat Ohio State. Now that game was in January, but either way. So, I just
1: I just don't think this team is so bad that they would go one in how many road games will they play this year, you know? Well
0: I mean 15? they well, they have one non conference game uh road game left and they have uh ten Big they ten. have nine rotate nine Big Ten road games, and so they get you're you're going to say they're going to go O and what fifteen?
1: I mean, I, I think they'll win at least two road games. They just I keep coming back to we have seen what this team could be. I just don't see it happening the way it did against Rutgers every night. But the more and more it happens, you do wonder what team you're going to get because we've seen more of the team that can't close the deal than the one that has.
0: I just want to go and look at their schedule, and we'll sure we can go game by game. I mean, (laughs) mean, Big
1: Ten is a tough league;
0: it is. Uh, So obviously, they play at Tennessee on December twenty eighth. Tennessee currently ranked nineteenth in the country. I'm guessing you're not going to pick Wisconsin in that game.
1: I have no reason to believe that that will be the first road win.
0: Yeah. Then they go to Ohio State, January third, at Penn State. That's January eleventh. That's doable. They've had some success there, so that'd be one win. Uh, They go to Michigan State. Nope. <laughs> uh, at Purdue, have
1: not had a lot of success there. I mean, I'm inclined to say no. I, I don't know. I mean, they, they're capable of winning one of these somewhere. Just
0: not the ones we've already mentioned,
1: though. Hard for me to say. Hard for me to say yes.
0: Yeah. At Purdue, at Iowa.
1: Yeah, that's a tough place, too. Carver Hawkeye is a tough place.
0: At Minnesota, they have not played well this year. I guess that's a possibility. Mm-hmm. At Nebraska, that's a possibility. Yeah. At Michigan, nope. And then they, uh, they finish at Indiana. Man, two or three is going to be challenging. Yeah. So,
1: eh. But maybe they'll be better. And as we're having this conversation, if it plays out the way we're discussing, that's not an NCAA tournament team anywhere near it.
0: No, no, no. Again, I I think I always go back when we talk about future teams, and I I think about where the 2015-16 team was sitting in January. Yeah,
1: absolutely. They were 1-4 in Big Ten play.
0: Right, and looking horrible. And then they went and upset a couple of top-10 teams in Maryland and then to Iowa I' have to say this that team is slightly more talented than than this one certainly and and certainly more accomplished in uh, a lot of their, what their players had done previously to that year so kobe King sold or not sold is the best player on the roster right now oh right now I'm sold overall <laughs> like uh, I think best score yes best offensive player yes defensively is he because I think that's always been where some people have questioned him. But I think his offense, because they desperately need it so much, probably puts him at the top of it.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I mean, he's nowhere near, obviously, a finished product. This is really his first extensive action of his career, where he's first time he's starting. But we're starting to see him come into his own. And really, I feel like we're starting to see what we thought we would get right away. And I know I talked about this last year, but... Remember how good he was right at the start of his true freshman season? Yeah, in those exhibition games. He was the leading scorer in those games, and he was the best shot maker and shot taker on the team because of the variety of ways he could score. I mean, I I remember him, even in in the red-white scrimmage, I think he had a a baseline drive and a step back and right in someone's face, and there were multiple instances where you just saw the variety of ways he could score. And So to me, that's what stands out most. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say he's the best defensive player, and obviously that's an important element, but he's the guy the last two games that have got has gotten you twenty one a game. That's pretty darn good.
0: Uh, it definitely is, and they desperately need him because of what is inconsistency elsewhere in that backcourt right now. Um, and I guess I mean Ikon was part of the backcourt, even though obviously he's uh, essentially playing the three a lot of the times. Um, Tyler Wall deserves to be in the starting five. Sold or not sold?
1: Ah man, I don't. I'm it's not good. He ha- I don't know if I'm sold on that yet. Because then you would ask, "Who are you taking out?" Take Aleem Ford out. Well, then I guess you've got. I guess you've got your answer. I don't.
0: But I, but I I'm I also don't think it will happen because a Liam Ford is likely coming out of the starting lineup at some point for Micah, right? It could be. I mean, I, I, unless they shift everybody down a spot, as we talked about earlier on. And I'll, again, we'll get to the Micah question in the, in the next one. But you know, Tyler has been outside of his foul problems, which have been. Notable, (laughs) to to say the least. He's been everything you could hope for in a true freshman. Like, there's, I mean, it's just not even, I don't know much more you could ask, especially at Wisconsin, where you don't see true freshmen make an impact nearly, well, for the most part, you don't see true freshmen make it a huge, huge impact right away, unless forced to, like they were with Brad and and Nate two years ago. He's been darn good, and it's just the little things that he's been doing so well.
1: Right, there's a certain level of fearlessness that comes with the way that he plays, and that's like, when Brad was inserted into the starting lineup, it was very early in the season two years ago, and it was obvious the spark that he provided, and I think Tyler does some of those things. I think it'd be more difficult for me uh, to say that he should be a starter just because, I mean, the things that Aleem gives you, he's just, and I've talked about this many times, he's improved so, so much that it, it would be hard for me to say he should come out and Tyler should should get in there, but...
0: Take a guess who's shooting better from... From three.
1: Yeah, I know. Tyler's like one of the best on the team. (laughs) And that's not
0: even his skill set. He's taken a lot fewer, obviously. He's four of nine from three, whereas uh, Aleem is 12 for 41. But yeah,
1: I mean... But he deserves as many minutes as Greg Gard can get him because of the things that he can do. Like, I feel like if you put him in the game, you know what you're going to get, and that's a big part of being on the court.
0: One of the more exasperating moments, I think, of the Rutgers game was his block... Like, that was a great block by, like, on the, it was a turnover.
1: I uh, got ripped away for but, an and one.
0: Right. No, no. Yeah. It got blocked. He comes up and he blocks it. It was a great block. The guy behind him grabs him and Brad ridiculously tries to grab him up so he can't just get the easy two and, and instead of he gets the, he gets the and one. Like, just oh, let yeah. it go. Just, just let it, let him have the two. Like, it, that, I was like, I just, I looked, I was looking at my screen. I'm like, I can't believe he just, did that like that's just such a stupid move by a guy who's got pretty good basketball IQ in Brad Davidson. like it just why are you doing that just let it go and uh that that because it was just one of those things I this you, compounding mistakes I guess is what I would count that as because you had just turn the ball over and then you're coming down and uh and making it even worse than it has to be
1: I was thinking of a, I think a different play when Ron Harper Jr. Is it like Tyler got the rebound? Ron Harper Jr. Oh, yeah, ripped, ripped it, it right up. away, yeah, yeah. which could have been a foul. Could have been. Wound up getting the and one. And that was, I think they even said in the broadcast, that's that welcome to the Big Ten moment. Like this big, strong dude just straight up takes it from you. Right. And Beast soon gets the and one. And that put Rutgers up 48 40. But there was no single play that cost Wisconsin that no, game.
0: No, no, there definitely wasn't. Sold or not sold, Micah Potter will be in the starting lineup when they take on UW Milwaukee.
1: I'm not sold. I really think this is going to be a situation where they try to ease him back in and see what he can give you. Maybe uh, that's yeah. I think he'll be the first reserve off the bench, or we one of the first reserve. Certainly, first front court. Well, maybe Tyler. I, I don't know what the minutes are going to look like, but I think eventually, if he is what we think he can be in terms of the veteran presence and the, the defense and physicality that they don't always have. And he might work his way into the starting lineup. It's just hard for me to say they're going to just straight up put him in there on December 21st.
0: Yeah, listening to Greg's press conference earlier this week, he talked about working him back in slowly because he knows the type of person that Micah is. He's a, he's a, um, there's a lot of energy there, there's a lot of uh, fire there, and was worried that, you know, you don't want to throw him in there and do too much. So maybe you bring him off the bench so that she's not all kinds of jacked up right away and you kind of work him back in there slowly he's never been in a rotation with these guys he's never played in a game with these guys he hasn't played in a game in uh what 22 months i think it's going to end up being close to so it or yeah 21 22 months so yeah i think they probably bring him off the bench to start with that's maybe that's my personal opinion on that i don't know if greg will agree with that but yeah the thing about this is, is even if he comes, even if he's in the starting lineup, it allows you to have another spark, I guess, "quote unquote" spark off the bench. Whether it's a coming off the bench, or whether it's somebody else, it gives them a little bit of something else, which I think they need. Uh, they've gotten some, you know, Brevin's been good off the bench I think, for the most part, and Tyler obviously, but it just adds another body. I think there, who loses playing time with him coming back? You think? Ooh. Is it Tyler? It, it like, might I, be.
1: It's hard to say. It shouldn't be. But. Right. Or it could be a leem. I mean, those are those would seem to be the the two candidates. I feel like you still need Nate to play a lot of minutes because of what he can give you. It's just if he if he
0: doesn't have keeps, it,
1: yeah, and that's and that might be part of it too. Is now you've got the flexibility as a head coach to say if this guy doesn't have it, we're going to take his minutes away and give someone else an opportunity. The one thing and I, I know we've talked about this before this season is that I just caution people not to assume that. Micah Potter's insertion into the lineup is somehow going to mean he's the savior no. because we're not talking about somebody who is getting you 17 and 12. He averaged 4.1 points per game as a freshman at Ohio state and 4.1 points per game as a sophomore. And his career, his career averages are 4.1 points and 2.4 rebounds.
0: That would make sense if he averaged 4.1 yes. two, the two years he's played. That is season. how it works.
1: But, but I'm just saying, we're not talking about one of those instant offense right, you right. know transfer type situations.
0: Right. Uh, so we talked about this last week. You know, is it the, you know is he going to give more or less than Quintes Civas? And someone, uh, South Jersey Pete, tweeted at us and said he kind of sees it more as getting Garrett or and Isaiah Loudermilk back along the defensive line. It makes I think that's fair, and I think that's actually a much better placement for him than it would be for Quintes because it is it's sl- sliding him into a spot that you desperately need some depth where you've gotten exposed at this point down you know down low, especially rebounding wise. You see so you have him, and it's not necessarily they're gonna make all these big plays and all these great moves and all this stuff, though we've seen a little bit from Garrett Rand and, and Isaiah down the stretch here, but those two guys have made Chris Orr and Jack Sanborn better and made the outside linebackers better. They've stopped the run better. Like they are the reason why I think the defense had as a nice bounce back is because of those guys, which they didn't have last year. Wisconsin so far this season has not had that presence, physical presence down low, and I think Micah Potter brings that, and he could he could be the Garrett Rand and Isaiah Laudermilk to for the basketball team.
1: I think that's an apt comparison because they're more unheralded players. Now it's a little different in basketball because we've only got five guys on the floor, and we've right. made this storyline out to be something. Because it's been lingering for so long,
0: I think we made something about the defense line storyline as well. People just don't we care Yeah, much. it's just Is not it a, it's not
1: a sexy position. But I, th- I think you're absolutely right. That's we're you know we're not talking about superstar to superstar, but we're talking about impact player that can drastically alter the trajectory of a season.
0: All right, so the end of the decades coming up. Obviously, everyone's doing their end of the decade list. You got ahead of it on football. <laughs> what was that in October or something like that? You guys, you put together a, a starting eleven for for Wisconsin football, right?
1: all decade team for offensive defense team. special teams
0: yeah so you got ahead of the, you got ahead of that back in october uh i'm or when was it was the
1: i don't remember it was one before the season did another updated one a few oh. weeks ago it's, it's hard to keep track
0: yeah either way uh so we're going to try and do something similar for the basketball team here it was a decade of very very good uh, basketball and uh i think we'll start who's your starting five you get you get a starting five of all the players that played from 2010 to 2019
1: This is the most fun question on the entire season so far. Uh, This was a tough one, but I went with, and I'm interested to hear what your choices were.
0: We may have the same one.
1: I went with Jordan Taylor for the starting point guard, and uh, I went back and forth between he and Bronson Koenig. And the reason that I picked Taylor is because I think the other players that I have surrounding him would be big-time scorers, and he would be able to get them the ball – he had 464 assists in his career yeah. at Wisconsin. Bronson had 296. And I know Bronson is the all-time leading uh, three-point shooter. He's made the most threes. Yep. He also took a lot of threes. And I just think in the structure of my starting lineup, I would want Taylor. And by the way, he averaged 18.1 points per game as a junior when he was just awesome.
0: Yeah, he was fantastic. That's who I had as well and picked him over Bronson too. I like his leadership too. Bronson was Bronson was more of a quiet guy. Like there wasn't a, load of, a lot of outward talk from him I remember Josh Gosser talking about him and like how when as a freshman every time he came in and I think you may have, maybe have told this story every time he came in he would call the exact same play on offense every single time he he took the court like it was the exact same play the first play every single time and that was as a freshman obviously people are different but Jordan has that natural charisma and like outward you know emotion that uh I think people grab onto and he was obviously a fantastic player. I think so that the two spot we
1: may disagree. I feel like this might be the one where we will disagree. I'm not sure though. I went with Josh Gosser, whose numbers (laughs) are entirely not going to be there. I would not say he's one of the five best players of the decade. However, I would want him in the lineup because of how much of a winner he was, because you knew he was going to lock down the other team's best guard. I'll I'll think of the NCAA tournament game against Vanderbilt when he's got the flu and Jenkins does absolutely nothing. To me, that's the epitome of Josh Gosser, him diving for a loose ball in the Big Ten championship into the, uh, into the media seats. Yep, I just would want that guy in my lineup, even though I know statistically he's not in the top five. But right. you could put Bronson there at the two at the two. You could, which, which is another option.
0: You could. I also went with Josh. All right. I, I, look, I'm a big Josh guy. Like I think that he. Defensively, you need that guy in your lineup. You need the guy that's going to at least give the other team's best player a whole bunch of fits, and he hit some big shots too. Like he's, he's a
1: forty percent career three point yeah, shooter. So. Yeah, yeah.
0: So um, you know, even after his knee injury, like he was even better as a senior than he was, you know, coming up. But to play with that knee injury the way he did, and he's another guy that vocal people love to follow, and you know, just tough as nails. And like I, that's you need that type of guy in your lineup. I picked him over another guy who very well is sounds very much similar, and that's Zach Showalter. Uh, Showy was fantastic in in the two years that he got to start, but even before that, when he uh, had to play as a freshman and then uh, play in the second Final Four, it was really really good. I mean, he's got the the play of the uh, that set up Bronson Kiting shot. I mean, it was him taking a charge, which is so Wisconsin, and then and over Ben Brust as well, who his senior year was just fantastic and. Um, the shot against Oregon to to take the lead there and and give him the record at least for I think two three years that he ended up holding on to it before Bronson took it back or before Bronson took it those would be my two guys uh, at the two or it'd be yeah. that I should say Goslar's my guy at the two but those would be the other two I mentioned
1: I think those are all strong choices I think it says something that my starting lineup uh, consists of sixty percent of guys that started on the <laughs> final four teams but hey that's the greatest <laughs> greatest run ever yeah so that's why my number three is going to be Sam Decker um, gosh we are
0: we're right on here today. But That's see, unfortunate.
1: And and maybe we're not here yet, but I'm just going to say there's one guy who's not in my starting five that I think is a very deserving candidate. And that would be John Lure, Um And he might be in your starting he might five. Be. Uh, he we'll, might be. we'll see there. I'm probably, you know, it's more of a recency bias. I, I covered Sam and the, what he did in the NCAA tournament uh, during the magical season that got him to the national championship is just etched into my mind. The, the, the moonball three-pointer that he made uh, was that against North Carolina. Or no, was it Arizona? Arizona? Arizona in the in the uh, NCAA tournament, and then the pat on Bo's butt, and the step back three that he made from the top against Kentucky, and I mean, the fact that he was the re, the West Region uh, MVP of the NCAA tournament—like that's what stands in my mind. He was such a dynamic score.
0: The step back against Kentucky may be the shot of in Wisconsin lower. That may be the shot. There's 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 some other candidates certainly but that the moment the game the stage everything that may be the shot uh of Wisconsin basketball.
1: And if you look numbers wise, he's pretty good. He was good, but you know, he never averaged more than I think what 14 points a game, 13 something as a junior, but they were such a balanced team whereas you look at John Luer's numbers and you know, it was like 18 points so you a. You consider Luer a, a three? Well, he could be a 4. Okay. I don't I mean I feel like there's a lot of position flexibility here. And six, maybe I would squeeze someone in to get yeah, someone else there. For sure. For but sure. I'm, I, I would go with Sam at the three spot.
0: Because me. you think about Sam, I mean, as a, as a sophomore, he essentially was the four because they yeah. played the three guard lineup. But I think uh, of this stuff what, as kind of interchangeable. And that's what I'm saying. Like it can go, and then he played the three when, when Nigel came into the starting lineup. Um, I also had Sam Decker in my starting lineup. Uh, so I think this we're, makes me feel better. It, eh. <laughs> who's, your, who's your four?
1: I went with Ethan Happ. Uh, I think it would be very interesting with this lineup because he demanded the ball in ways that I think would change the dynamic of this team, but it's just really hard for me to ignore everything that he did in the way that he did it because it was a a once-in-a-maybe-generation-type player in terms of the way he was able to stuff the stat sheet with the scoring rebounds and assists. You just don't see a player like that. This was a hard one for me just because... like. I went, with, I went with Jordan Taylor at the one because of how he would play off these other guys. I went with Josh at the two because of what he could bring. And like if you put Ethan at the four, that might significantly impact what yeah. Frank is at the five. I'm not going to leave some suspense here. We both yeah. have Frank Kaminsky since yeah. he's the greatest player that they've had. So I'm interested to hear who you've got at the four. I
0: went though. with John Lure at the five, okay. or at the four, I mean, uh, and, and not over... Uh, Ethan, I went him. I went over Nigel. Nigel, yeah. yeah. John, I would not want to put Ethan on there and clog up the middle when you have Frank Kaminsky because Frank can handle both inside outside. Like you don't need you don't need that inside presence. Where I would take Ethan would be defensive defensively because I, he's a multiple defense. He can defend multiple positions better than John can. Though uh, offensively, John's a much much better player, at least inside outside. And if you're going to run the swing, if you're going to run the offense that most of these guys ran. For the most part, you know, outside of just the <laughs> pure talent that uh, and and some of the schemes that they went through in fourteen, fifteen, and and uh, thirteen, fourteen, and fourteen, fifteen, that doesn't work great with with Ethan. Though as we're seeing this year, it's not just it's not very easy to replace that production either. So I went with I went with John there and. He was very, very good, and I don't know. I just kind of like him in that spot. That's at, a sound pick. He's as an NBA to Ethan, guy. As opposed, to, as opposed to Ethan there.
1: And that's why my top three off the bench were, I had Lure, Nigel Hayes, and Bronson Koenig. Those would be like the first three guys I would bring off the bench in this
0: hypothetical. Yeah. Uh, obviously, Frank is our five. No question. I would put. I would have Ethan there. Like, that would be my the five behind him. He would be my the first in off the bench. It, when Frank comes out, I put Ethan in. Um, because I think just, even though he can't shoot it from the outside, he Brings so much else to the game, and uh, he'd be in there. Bronson would be there, Nigel, and sh- you, gotta, you gotta have a showy too. I mean, you gotta, you gotta have that, but that team would win some games.
1: They might be better than 36 and 4.
0: <laughs> I bet you they wouldn't lose at Rutgers. Probably not. <laughs> would they be Duke though? Perhaps. Uh, so, continuing on with this theme, a lot of good games were played throughout uh, the decade. What was the best game? So for me,
1: the best game is the 2014 NCAA tournament in the Elite Eight against Arizona because I think we
0: spent too much time together because we
1: these... <laughs> <laughs> well, best game. I think of best game as not like yeah, the significance is huge right. and and I, I under, like it'd be easy to say the Kentucky game and that might also be uh, mentioned in future some categories yeah. in this this segment, but that game from start to finish was absolutely electric. It was played at such a phenomenally high level and. There was so much riding on it because Bo Ryan, for all of his success, had never made the Final Four. We know all the stories about how his dad, Butch, would tell him that he would be there someday and they would be be there together because they went as a father son duo to the Final Four every year, but Bo never coached in it. It was his, you know, Butch's birthday. It would have been his 90th birthday, I think. And the game itself was just phenomenal where you've got to make a stop at the very end in overtime. They get it and they go to the Final Four. There was something magical about that. It, It was, it was, the combination of the game and its significance. I'll yeah. never forget it.
0: Yeah, and it was coming out party for Frank Kaminsky on a national level. We had known, he was a first-team All-Big Ten player that year, but I don't think nationally he was as well-known until that night where he came in and uh, was on full display and was fantastic in that one, but it still took a defensive stop, which I think is appropriate for a Wisconsin team. It took a defensive stop to get them to the Final Four. They turned the ball over, Arizona has one more chance, and uh, Wisconsin did enough help defense wise to force a bad shot or to get, not even get the shot off that that was appropriate. I thought
1: I remember Frank had his like cell phone afterward in a in back hallway and was looking at the video of like people celebrating on state street. And it was just, it was just such a cool. It was just such a thrill to be able to cover it, but realize how significant it was—not just for the program, but for the university. The way people embraced that team because that year it was unexpected, and that's part of what made that storyline so special. I mean, yeah. they were a number two seed.
0: There's, a, there's I, I think, there's, there was a
1: certain point where you realized, oh, this team's really good. But like yeah. at the start of the year, for sure, you never thought, oh, that's a Final Four team. This is going to be the one that finally gets there.
0: Yeah, no, sixteen and zero. Like that's they started the year sixteen and zero. But you're right. Frank Kaminsky was nothing. You know, before that season, like he it was, he had done literally practically, I shouldn't say literally, he had done practically nothing to that point. And for him to take the jump that he did, and really, I remember for him, it started in the second half of the Green Bay game because he was not very good in the first two games either, uh, including the, the win over Florida. There's but, so
1: many honorable mentions, by the way, that would take way too long. Yes. But that, that game in Milwaukee against uh, Oregon See, and I think we, was really special to Yeah.
0: Me. And I, to me, and we'll get, I think there's, Opportunity for those games in the best moments category, but the best game category, the uh, that elite eight game against mm-hmm. Arizona in OT was fantastic. Before we get to the best moments, probably going to go with the worst moments first because I don't want I don't want to end on worst moments here. So I'm going to we'll, we'll go with worst moments, and I think um, certainly the, the 2017-18 season where the tournament streak ends, I think that is a all time bad moment for for a program because you never expect it to happen. Like when is it, when's it going to happen? But th- that ended. And then the four years of the heartbreaking defeats in the NCAA tournament. Four straight years of just grab you inside, rip out your heart, twist it, punch you in the face, punch you in the gut, and just take everything with you and leave you just laying on the floor uh, exits. 2014, you have the shot against Kentucky. You have Duke, where you blow the eight-point lead in the final 13 minutes. The next year against Notre Dame, you turn the ball over in the corner. Nigel Hayes does. And then Chris Chioza shot against uh after, you know in Madison Square Garden for the 3. Well, can you have four worst exits than than that? What was your number one of those? Well, I think it has to be the national championship game, but in terms of just last second losses, yeah, it has to be the Florida game.
1: So that's that was my number one when you when you asked me worst moment, I did not go to team does not make NCAA tournament yeah. because that was building for a long time. Like worst moment for me is when you just feel it so hard you can't believe it happened and the Chios running three, because it was also because of what that would have meant. They had already beaten number one seed Villanova that year, and if they would have won, they would have played South Carolina, which I think was a seven seed. Now, South Carolina ultimately beat Florida and got to the Final Four, but it just felt like, ah, if you win that game, every year there is a game that if you can escape, you have this big run that
0: maybe they wound up in the Final Four again. And it's magical, it would have been magical because of what Showy had done to get it to that point. like Discount they, double check. They came they came back from down like it was they should not have been even in overtime in that game. Like it should not have been to that point and yet it got there because of some heroics earlier on but there haven't been a ton of bad moments except of end of seasons. Like <laughs> for the most part it's been pretty darn good and it was pretty darn good throughout. I mean I, I guess some people would consider like a Sweet 16 lost to Cornell or something like that as being a bad moment but th- that is what it is. When you're on the cusp of like an elite eight or a national championship game or a national championship, ugh, yeah, that one's going to stick with you.
1: First Kentucky game, <sighs> given given where they were, and, and you just if they had won that,
0: I still think they beat Connecticut.
1: Yeah, so that's up there too. But I just that Florida game, it was just so improbable, such a ridiculous shot. You felt like I had no business going in. That's the one that sticks with me most.
0: So we'll go back. So now we're done with the bad moments. Best moments. What's number one for you?
1: I have to go with the win over Kentucky in the national semifinal the second time they played, simply because of what it meant. Kentucky was 38-0. That was absolutely unbelievable, and Wisconsin was so motivated. They had spent the entire year building up to that moment, and really, that team had more pressure than any team maybe ever that Wisconsin has had, because not only had they made the Final Four the year before, but they had so many guys coming back, basically everyone but Ben Brust, back, and if they had not made the Final Four, it would have been considered a failure. If they had made the Elite Eight and lost as a one seed, it would have been a failure. And so for them not to only get there, but to then upset Kentucky in the way that they did, to me, is best moment. It, it's not like there was a buzzer-beating shot, right? but it was just absolutely tremendous.
0: And the way that, the, I mean, there are some images, and, I, and it's been talked about, obviously, but the, the images in your mind, that will stick with, like, for people that were there, and I'm sure fans is probably even more so, but, like, in your mind just... A year earlier, Sam crouched down watching Kentucky celebrate behind him, and then this time it's uh, Willie cauley Stein walking off and Wisconsin celebrating behind him. Sam Decker's three, Sam Decker's taking a charge to get the ball back. you know, and all of it combined together off of the previous year, all coming together for what was the uh, I know the 41 champion, they, they won a championship in 41, but to me, that was the best moment in program history. Was that game and the fact that they weren't able to finish it off? Okay, you know, two nights two nights later. But that that night among the most magical in uh, Wisconsin basketball history, Wisconsin sports history. To be fair, it was it was special. There were others though, and I wrote them all down here because I think there there were quite a few throughout the uh, throughout the decade. 2011, the comeback to beat number one Ohio State. They were down. I think they were down 15 at one point. Ohio State was unbeaten, and uh, that happened. I think they ended up. I think that was the deal with it game. Uh, where Bo said something about deal with it. And when they went to Ohio State later that year, he got uh, <laughs> he got it back. They they gave it back to him pretty good. Ben Bruss, three-pointer at the buzzer from half court to beat Michigan. Oh, yeah, that to was, send it to overtime. Excuse me, yep, yep, uh, to send it to overtime. The 2014 game against Oregon at the Bradley Center, as loud of an arena as I've ever been in anywhere, Insane. it yep. was remarkable. And when they made their comeback, because they were down, I think, eight or nine and... Um, Young was just unconscious. Joe Young was just insane that game. Like, Gossard was all over him all game. He just was hitting absolutely everything. But then Wisconsin got hot, and that home crowd kicked in. And that's, um, to be honest, I think one of the great moments in Bradley Center history, just the just the aura around it. Um, RIP
1: Bradley Center.
0: Yes. Uh, the 2015 Big Ten title game against Michigan State, down 11, facing their biggest deficit ever uh, of the year, and against a pretty good darn good Michigan State team who went on and played in the Final Four, that again, turned the United Center into, Cole, into the Cole Center. It was, it was another loud, and it had so many moments. You mentioned the Josh Gosser moment jumping into the table. That is one of those moments from that season that will probably stick with fans. Show Walters belt versus Florida at uh, MSG to right, um, just a ridiculous shot, right? And uh, beating Purdue on Frank Kaminsky's Jersey retirement night on what was otherwise a horrible, horrible year that was probably obviously the the top of it, and then beating unbeaten Michigan last year were they number one at the time? I don't I don't know if they were. I think they were number two, uh, but had been unbeaten, and Wisconsin upset them. So there was obviously plenty of great great moments throughout. I, I I didn't go back and look at this, but I assume it's pretty safe to say that this has been the best decade of Wisconsin basketball, right? Because uh, we have this argument about Wisconsin football, like whether it's the nineties or whether it's this decade. You think it's this decade? I think it's the nineties, but. This seems pretty pretty obvious, right? Or no?
1: Uh, I think it. I would go with this decade. Yes, I did look, and the 1910s were a very good decade for Wisconsin basketball. Modern it's era. It's an entirely different era. From 1911 to 1918, they went 106 and 12, and they had two 15 and 0 seasons. I think they went 20 and one one year, but I don't care about the 1910s. <laughs> yeah, this was the greatest decade, and honestly, it's framed because of the back-to-back Final Four runs. Without that, it might still be because they would have gone. To the NCAA tournament, all but one season, but that's to me what what ultimately makes this the the best and most special decade because you had the best team and you had the best run that certainly we have seen from this program. 1941 national championship notwithstanding, and and the 2000 final four, but that was
0: once, not twice. It was it, it was the 99 2000 season. So yeah, would, the 2000 final four. Do we count? Do we count that in the 2000s?
1: Yeah, if you want to. Okay,
0: all right. So I, if st- they, I would still. So pick if they go to the decade. final four this year, do we count it towards this decade or next? next decade okay
1: <laughs> is this one of those uh discussions where it's like was it year zero or was it year one <laughs> when earth started
0: <laughs> yeah i don't again I, it was a special decade a lot of good moments and it makes you kind of realize how special or how yeah how special things have been and even if they aren't going great to this point this year do they turn around do they figure it out
1: uh, i don't want to end on a downer because figure it out to me is do they make the ncaa tournament <laughs> right now it's hard for me to say yes They've got it in them. I'll say this: they just need to prove it.
0: I'll say this: they have opportunities. We'll see. Oh, one hundred percent, and we'll see if they have any chance of taking advantage of those opportunities. Jesse, thank you. Thanks, Zach. You've been listening to the Swing here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.